Welcome back to Devo Talks. My name is Ashing Weldon and I've been with Devo for coming up to two years now. Today I'm delighted to be joined by some of the women here in Devo Health. Davina Ramkasoon, who is our Wellbeing Director, our Head of Operations, Tracy Dollard, and finally Michelle Coates, who is the producer of Devo Talks. We come from a broad background and different life experiences, which will hopefully give you, the listener, a well-rounded view of life as a woman in 2021, which has massively changed in the last generation. A woman's place was firmly at home. As recently as 1973, women in Ireland were expected to quit their job once they were married. Not even 50 years later, and this has all completely changed. The working world today is a vast contrast of what it once was. And we want to look at how far we've come and what limitations are still present today. So to start off this month, we have International Women's Day. So what does this day mean to each of you? Um, I think that this day is somewhat a day of reflection. It's an appreciation for how far we've come, but I think it's also very much a day to look back and see the gaps that are still there. Like as much as, as far as we've come, there's still things are far from perfect. I thought um, early in the year, like the rest of the nation, I watched um, the Netflix show Bridgerton. Um, there was a lot of things in that show I think that people would comment on. But one thing I noticed was that when the daughters were getting married, the discussion always came back to the dowry and basically the payment of someone to join another family. And it's interesting to think because that's only a couple of hundred years ago. That was that was a thing then, but it's also still a thing in some parts of the world. Obviously, it's not as much in the Western world. But in the Western world, we very much rely back or look to the kind of the tradition that the bride's family would pay for the wedding. And it would kind of make you think, is that a 21st century kind of version of a dowry? And it kind of does make you think then, what, how far have we come and where we are now as a whole kind of thing. Definitely, Michelle. I think that dowry um, element that you picked on, even in my culture um, up until quite recently, would have been very apparent in... um, you know, giving the woman, the, the bride away and, and having her absorbed into a new family. It's very interesting. Um, and I think, yeah, just exactly what you said. It's all of those things that you mentioned. Um, and for me as well, like, yeah, celebrating the achievements of how far we have come, um, the visibility of those achievements um, and the piece around education. Like there's so much happening around education and trying to encourage um, girls, young girls out of the stereotypes that would have been enforced on them, getting them more engaged in, you know, the sciences and having that filter through into industry as well. Um, but like you're saying, that piece on, you know, advancement and equality and how much is left to do, there's probably still quite a lot more to do. And especially um, with the pandemic, there's a sense of we could be reversing some of those good um, changes that we've had as women feel more pressurised to who may be in you know who may have children um who are at home working to kind of step back into that full-time carer role whilst the the other partner takes on the working responsibilities so we're in a very um pivotal time as well in the sense of what could come next yeah i i I definitely agree with that and i suppose for me and just echoing michelle and Davina, it is a celebration you know things things have changed dramatically even you know in in my own sort of career lifespan you know what it was in the sort of the the early night late 80s early 90s to what 
you know, the, the working environment is for, for women today has, has, you know, changed beyond recognition almost. Um, but it's, you know, the theme of this year is choose to challenge. Um, and that's, I think, you know, for me, it's, 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 it's enforcing that really in, in and empowering women to challenge. And I want to instill that in my own girls um, who are in their 20s at the moment, you know, that, that sort of question everything mentality. I think I'd love to see that being pushed through and not accepting, you know, what was or the traditions or the norms or just because it was how, how you know, things were in the past. Um, so, yeah, so that's it's a celebration for sure, but it's absolutely highlighting, you know, the, the things that need to be addressed still. Yeah, I definitely think it's a celebration of women and women in kind of in power who I would look up to and, and idolize and, and aspire to push myself to be better than what I am kind of or what we're what, like to try and be better every day. Um, but I also think it's important to, you know, celebrate the women around us and who are close to us and and recognize all the achievements, great or small, that we've all kind of achieved in our lives and like how we're successful. And especially I think, you know, in the workplace now, I've a lot of friends in different types of industries and some would be heavily male dominated. So I take time as well to like look at my friends and say, you know, you've come this far and you've done this amount of work and you've got like I've really successful friends, like female friends in um, different industries. And I just think it's a, it's a day that we have to look at ourselves, especially and remember all the things that we've achieved and how far we've all come. And I definitely think, um, yeah, it's a celebration of just how great women are, essentially, like it is. And I think because the way that we were kind of the way a woman can be stereotyped into particular roles in life that it's important that that we're battling these stereotypes and like looking at our achievements not just as an achievement is to go to college to get married to have a child that there's different types of female achievements now that are recognized um, so that kind of brings us into the next question then in the workplace, how can we counteract any negative stereotypes of women and enforce positive feminism in both our men and women? Well, <laughs> we could spend all day just talking about this and drawing out plans and strategies to, <laughs> to um, solve the problem. But um, I really like what you were saying that Ash about being a cheerleader for people. Um, like really kind of, I think, um, it can be really difficult at times for um, women or any any individual to kind of reflect on where they've come from and what they've achieved because the way in which our society is geared right now is it's always looking for the next milestone, the next achievement, the next thing, which means that we don't actually take time to take pause and reflect on how far we have come and we minimize those achievements and those accomplishments. And sometimes it is having the support of someone really close to you to say, hold up, this is what you've done. I'm looking at your journey and, uh, you know, it's not going to be smooth sailing. It's going to be painful along the way, but you're doing great. Um, so I really would encourage that. Um, and I guess the other thing I'd probably say on it is just, yeah, to become aware, like to not push the problem outside, um, to really become aware of what's happening internally for you. So we all have stereotypes. We all have biases and whether they're conscious or unconscious. And it's becoming aware of that first. Um, before you can really take on the bigger 
bigger picture um, and the bigger work that needs to be done. And that's where it kind of moves with the organization. You know, what are the unwritten rules of behavior? How is role modeling um, exhibited in an organization? What is seen as acceptable or not? Um, and taking it that step further. But yeah, I think, um, I think there's lots that we can all do every day when we show up to any interaction, you know, coming back to that, are we, are we enabling someone to feel comfortable to, to voice their, to whatever opinion they have or to bring their full selves to work and to, to just feel like they're, they're accepted as the way they are. Yeah. And it's the whole of the workforce. It's not just the women in the workforce. It needs to be everybody, you know, because, yeah. Um, you, you know, it's it's equality. It's equality in in lots of different areas, but it's it's the equal voice. It's the equal position, and as Davina says, it's that empowerment piece to make sure that everybody feels that they have an equal um, stance, I suppose, in the organisation, and and they're able to to be heard. I think the language that we use as well is really important to bottle stereotypes and the language we use to talk about ourselves. So, you know, it's like if, if a woman is seen as assertive or decisive, she's seen as bossy or bitchy. And it's but we can also be guilty ourselves of using that language against ourselves. And then if we're putting it out there and other people are picking up on it, then, you know, you're, you're bringing yourself down, essentially, because that's not the case at all, because any a man who's seen as assertive is assertive it's not there's no other kind of like reason why they would be that way and um, so I think that it's our responsibility as well to choose better language to describe ourselves. That, that's really interesting Ash that you mentioned that because there's a good amount of research in that and it's the gender biases so what happens when a female um, behaves in tendencies that we would associate with a man so that assertiveness for a man to be assertive we we think that that's good leadership but for a woman to do it it's yeah exactly as you said she's bossy or you know um, asking too much we challenge it more um, and you know you hear those sayings of that's not very ladylike things like that that come through just in the gender biases that we may already hold and so if you're in a dynamic where someone is holding that bias of what it is to be female or male you've got two battles there you've got the internal battle of being the person who is just trying to do their job maybe in whatever way they, they, they need to get it done and then there's the imposed perspective of what, uh, perspective of what other people think of you um and how that how your communication or your approach is viewed and analyzed so it, it is quite you know, it's not a two-way, it's not a one-way process. It's definitely two-way, probably even three-way because it goes out, it goes back, it's reviewed. Yeah. And it, yeah. Um, yeah. So when I was in college, I remember one day we were in a lecture and it came up the conversation of feminism in broader society sort of thing. And there was a who here would describe themselves as a feminist. I'm going to say out of a room of 200, maybe, I'm going to say about 40 hands went up and maybe five guys and um, there was a girl in my course and she was Swedish and she was shocked. And I remember from about three weeks after, I'll be here, I can't believe this, I can't believe this. And she just kept saying everyone where she was from, everyone in Sweden would describe themselves as a feminist. She just said that's the way it was because she said a lot of people are a bit daunted by the word feminism. But if you replace feminism with equality. So instead of I'm a feminist because I believe in equality because. And I just I remember thinking because 
like a lot of the times when you do hear people talking about feminism and stereotypes within women and that sort of thing they go back to the very the fundamentals the like it fundamentals in anything so working in the well-being industry there is quite an equal balance if not slightly leaning to women being the majority although it is important to continue to strive for equality for someone listening how can they encourage this in an organization that may not be as female dominated it's a good question isn't it it's kind of back to, to what we were talking about before, rather than sort of, and even using the word enforcing feminism, you know, it's, it's, about, it's about equality, it's about equal rights and ensuring that equal rights are um, a given in the organisation. That's, that's what we're striving for, really. Um, it's to make sure that and I think as well as, as just saying, oh, yeah, everybody should have equal rights. You know, what, what does that actually what does that actually mean? I mean, there's equal rights when it comes to pay. There's equal rights when it comes to division of labor, for example. And they're fairly, in my mind, <laughs> easy to get to get right, you know. Um, but there's there's other sort of more complex rights that, that we want to sort of um we want to, to, to kind of achieve in an organisation. And I think to do that, it's actually recognising the differences and it's recognising the difference, the different needs of, of the people in your organisation. So I come to work and I'm at a certain stage in my own life. Um, so my needs um, and what I need to motivate myself to contribute to the organization is going to be different to somebody who's maybe 20 years my junior and has a different set of motivations and needs and what's going on in their in their personal life so I think the conversation needs to be just broadened out completely um it's great to see for example that um the parental leave the maternity leave the um paternity leaves are are being you know, extended and broadened and, and that's kind of becoming part of the the statute and part of our legislation and that's great. And I think, you know, having that support from government is, is, is driving a lot of these conversations around what is actually important to people depending on the stage that they're in in their life. And then that traditional model of, you know, okay, the, the, the working woman, you know, she gets pregnant She's taking maternity leave. She's gone off to, to kind of care for the for the, the baby and, and the child. And then she kind of needs to figure out how she's going to manage, you know, to get herself back to work and, and all of that care and responsibility. Traditionally, that was kind of on her, you know. Um, and it's nice to see that we're starting. We're not anywhere close to where I believe we should be, but we are starting to have different conversations around um you know, the, the, the man's role, the father's role in all of this and, and where he comes in and what does he need um, in his employment arrangement to facilitate the caring of a child that he has also brought into the world. So that's something I think that, that needs to drive the conversation as well. Um, and whether that comes through government legislation or whether that is driven from, you know, the, the workforce, if you like, I think it needs to be continued as a conversation um, and, and you know, as part of that conversation, as part of that narrative, we will, um, we will achieve some equality of rights or more equality of rights. But I think certainly 
um, where you have a more male dominated workforce and I've worked in those industries. Uh, it's it's difficult. It is very difficult, you know. And in my own personal experience, and I'm not speaking in general terms about workforce, I'm talking about my own personal experience. Um, women who are pregnant and who are um, raising families are seen, or were seen, um, as a bit of an inconvenience, really. You know, and oh, she's at that age. Yeah, that's really sad, isn't it? Really, really sad. Off, because you lose a lot of talent from from the organisation. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's kind of that was the battle, wasn't it? That was the sort of the, you know, it was it was it was very difficult in my sort of early years and and you know of of having children. It was it was difficult and it was sort of a it wasn't really a conversation that was had in the canteen, you know. Um, and if you raised it in the canteen, you were seen as. Oh, Feminist. <laughs> <laughs> you think that that would could come into like the recruitment stage as well? That if you're an, a woman of a certain age, that if you're applying for a job, that that would be nearly taken into consideration as well. Maybe like that. That <laughs> I was asked directly about. in an interview. Um, did I plan on having any more children? God. Absolutely shocking, isn't it? Because a man would never be asked that. In, and that's where the inequality that like it's those little one-liners that are still the difference it's still there's still things there that need to like need change and yeah and let's, and let's not forget raising a child is a full-time job and it's not recognized it's unpaid labor in essence you know and that child is going to go on and contribute towards the economy mm-hmm. so it all feeds into the right direction you know giving um that woman that family as much of a stable foundation to nurture and develop a child is only going to do the state a benefit because they're going to be able to be a productive member of society, contribute towards the economy, take up work, you know, all of these things that we need to keep the economy going. It is very sad to see that that is, that was the experience and probably there might be some people who are still experiencing that. Um, Actually talking to my um, cousin yesterday, she became a first time mother just before Christmas. She had her lovely little baby girl back in December. So she's obviously still on maternity leave and trying to come to the grips with having a child. Um, But she was basically saying she's a teacher and she's obviously out on maternity leave at the moment and she won't be due to go back to hopefully in September, but she'll see what COVID's like at that stage. Um, But she was saying about it basically how she was even though within a school obviously the hours are structured they're not different to an office nine to five so she said the school would be usually close half three four o'clock ish but she's always been very involved especially in green schools that sort of area but she was basically saying that it's just it's not a it's not conducive with having a child and raising a child and these things even though for all the will in the world things do get unorganized and things happen last minute so if a meeting all of a sudden that was meant to be during lunch is now at four o'clock, she can no longer go because the six month old baby isn't able to walk home from crash by itself and um, that sort of thing. So she's basically just even in a more female dominant industry, which education has always been, there's still those kind of the unfair balance, even towards even towards a woman that doesn't have a child necessarily. Yeah, and I think that would leads kind of into our next um, question quite well. So as a woman, we have all had experiences where 
being a woman has both a benefit and a setback. So does anyone have any experiences of this they want to share? We're all smiling. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, I think personally, you know, a setback for me would be and like this is just quite personal that like if if I'm out walking but alone and it's dark and you know you see the group of kind of anyone it could be one person by themselves or a group of people and it's that initial kind of fear that I just feel is programmed into a lot of women that it's like your fight or flight kind of thing and I guess the older I've gotten the more confident I've gotten in myself and my ability to like if I had to fight back I would I guess but I think that's just something that anyone who I've ever really spoken to has kind of had the same fears if they're out kind of by themselves or walking alone at nighttime. Um, But then a benefit of this in a weird way has been that my male friends that have spoken to me about this because they've all kind of noticed it that when if they're out walking and there's someone in front of them, a girl in front of them, that they're like, how can I like let this girl know that she doesn't have to be afraid of me, I guess? So, you know, they came to me and I was like, oh, well, you could take out your phone, start talking on the phone and, you know, say like so that they can hear a voice and they can hear kind of that there's someone, it's a person. It's not just this dark fear kind of walking behind them. And it's a weird one, I guess, being a benefit. But I think the more we we are open or speaking openly about these little fears that we have, the more kind of people are like, oh, well, same. And then this is how you solve it. Isn't it fantastic to hear, though, that your your male friends are so acutely aware of, of this and, you know, they're... I think they're, it's the education. Yeah. It's like they're more educated about, and I think they want to do better if that, like, you know, there's a lot of things where it's just, it's, we're pointing the finger at men and it's it's all their fault. But, you know, it's, it's also how they've been brought up and the education that they've been given. So... But that's why it's kind of our responsibility somewhat as well to educate the men that are around us too um, so that they can do better and they don't really have an excuse because you know we can be like oh we 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 kind of gave you tips on how to do this this and this or whatever so but I do yeah I think I think it's more so that there's I think the last couple of years there's just been a lot of negativity in like for men in like against women kind of in in the media so any any guy I think who thinks you know that, that they're not involved in that then should be educating themselves so they they can educate their friends too so it's just like this one kind of pass of education on something similar to that um last night I was kind of doing a pre- preparation for this conversation and um I thought to myself I'm I'm have one brother so it's myself and my brother so obviously female and a male and I asked my mom um, I just said to her, my brother is about four years older than me. And I said, when I was born and when my brother was born, I said, is there anything you felt you needed to instill in us kind of thing for my brother to be a certain way or for me to be a certain way, just purely on our genders? And um, what she said, quick enough as we were kind of becoming our own people, she was like, I knew both, he's able to stand up for yourself and all that sort of thing. Believe it or not, I'm actually the quiet one. Um, <laughs> but one thing she said, particularly with my brother Steve was, she said, I never wanted him to be the Lord Muck, the kind of the king of the castle. She said it was actually more to do with him having a good respect for women and believing that he wasn't above these things. She said, mm. my, like my mom is from, um, she's from rural Ireland and she grew up on a farm. And she said when she was about 
20. Her brother um, was about 17 and she said they were doing the dishes one day and he wanted a cup or something like that. And he was like, where's the, and she was him a teacloth and said, well, dry it and wait for it. Try to do it yourself. And she said, I almost had to pick him up off the floor. He thought, I thought he was having heart failure. He couldn't get over it. Simple, like as simple as oh. something like drawing a cup. Definitely. I think family dynamics are, you know, where we kind of have a lot of um, subconscious kind of beliefs about gender come through and, and how it can carry on playing out through our own kind of dynamics, dependent on our role and gender. Um, I have a, a really good um, story from when I was younger. Um, and it's actually just of, uh, as my PE teacher, so my, my physical education teacher um, in secondary school, we must have been about 12 and he's male and we're we're playing rugby so he's teaching us how to tackle and to basically bring someone to the ground and um we're all lined up and it's mixed class so there's boys and girls in it and it was my turn um I was meant to run up and tackle this lad down and he was like a mini rugby player himself he was solid and I looked at my my PE teacher look back at this lad look back at my PE teacher and he just went gone and I was like in my head I was like are you mad but then I was like I ran after him and I could hear my PE teacher going drive your shoulder and drive your shoulder in and it was just he was like that sort of thing also has stayed with me in the sense of you've got you know someone who you know is kind of cheering on this little little girl and it's, it's all always littler at the time um, against this big lad and he's like he's not seeing any of that and he's trying to push me and like on reflection and in in light of the conversation that we're having um you know those things also mean and carry a lot when when you have those experiences with someone who is male um or female who's looking at you and maybe you're um you maybe have these limitations in your mind and they're going so try it go push as hard as you can and I think that's really like that's been one of the best kind of experiences from childhood as well just having those teachers kind of just look at you and go so you can do it kind of move like go through it go through it and and that's that's really heartwarming to have had as well so then it can be a stereotype that women can be catty and may not be looking out for one another is it important in Zevo Health for women to build each other up yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's just important for stuff. Yeah, no matter where you are, no, no matter where you are, world, you know, absolutely. And yeah, it, it, I mean, it's it's just and this again, it's the stereotype of oh, women are patty, you know, um, she's very bossy, you know. I, I mean, I've had sort of labels attached, and even in my younger in my younger years, you know, when I sort of started out on, on my HR career, you know, I had this sort of label of um, she's the mammy of the group, you know, it, 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 and that's fine. And I've kind of, I'm still getting that label attached. She's the mammy of the group. And it comes from a couple of, of different aspects and, and, you know, what I'm sort of putting out there and, Yes, I, I'm, I'm caring, I'm, I'm caring nature. I, I hope I have a caring nature and I do genuinely want to make sure that um, people are, are safe and happy in, in, in the workforce and in life in, in my own sort of circle in general. Um, 
but I've, you know, and that's fine. And yeah, the mammy of the group and the whole lot is, is fine to, to a degree, but then it gets to a stage where you're saying, yeah, but I'm not your mammy. <laughs> you, need, you need to kind of go and figure that out yourself. Um, and again, going back to the sort of, she's very assertive and that means I'm bossy. So I'm the eldest of three, uh, two younger brothers. Um, and my mother brought us up as a single parent. So, and, and within a household of very, very strong women. So I grew up with two women raising me effectively, my, my grandmother and my mother. Um, my grandfather was, was there also. We, we kind of lived with him. So, but I grew up surrounded by just really, really strong, hardworking, determined women who, you know, they worked so hard that they didn't actually have time for the, you know, almost the niceties and the whole lot, but my mother is, is lovely. But I suppose, you know, you, you get this sort of label of she's assertive. That means she's bossy. She's, you know, and, and you know, can women be catty? I think people can be catty. You know, people can be mean to each other sometimes. You know, it's not just down to women. It's not that men are really nice and it's only women who... Um, who are catty or snide, make snide remarks and the whole, that is across the board, you know, it really is. Um, should we uh, should we build each other up all of the time? Absolutely, of course. Um, we, we have to be able to lean on each other. We have traits that are unique to us as women that, that men don't share and, and, you know, that we need to kind of support each other through and there's different things that happen in our lives as women that men don't experience and we need to be able to sort of share those experiences ourselves, understand them and support each other through all of those different um, life stages, I guess. Yeah, Tracy, I think that's really important. And I think it's coming back to the gender stereotypes. When you were talking, I'm just thinking of that. They're saying, you know, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So if people are stereotyping you as the mammy of the group and then you pull back and go, actually, you have to figure this out by yourself then you receive backlash or, you know, because you're not fulfilling the gender stereotype that someone has of you. Um, and I think maybe, maybe I'm throwing this out there, maybe us as women, like we need to rewrite that stereotype on a collective level and, we, and conversations like this are doing it. Um, and, but I think it's that everyday um, interaction, you know, how, what expectations are we put on putting on this individual um, be it a woman, be it a man, um, but say it as a woman, you know, are we holding her to that level that we have of a gendered stereotype in our mind? Um, and then, and then, you know, working with that to see, is that actually helping the situation? Is that actually helping me um, to, you know, figure out and grow through this process? Um, it is interesting, you know, some of the pandemic data has kind of shown, you know, the countries that are being led by women are having better outcomes um, and I think they were just saying it's more around like the proactivity and the collaboration around policy implementation design and implementation so I think there's there's something to be said there as well and obviously that data is not conclusive we're still going through the pandemic but um, yeah I think it is quite fascinating to see that that finding has been observed it is definitely going to make us think about women in leadership differently and when you've got strong people um, 
like you know Jacinda Arden um, who are very transparent she's very transparent in her communication she doesn't fluff it up she goes you know she speaks honestly from from the conversations that I can see of her speaking online um, and I think that's refreshing to see as well. I yeah I think as well you know what Tracy said there that everyone can be catty and it's, it's like everyone who doesn't love a good rant you know and sometimes you just need to vent and let off steam and you know it's you know you, you just and that kind of needs to happen and it doesn't need to be seen as catty or anything it just needs to be seen as a personal release I think that you're just kind of blowing off steam and then it's forgotten about um, and it's like you know my housemate he's a guy and he's just as able to have that same rant that I would or to be just as catty as I am and um, I think that it's just I, like I love the saying it's my favourite saying that empowered women empower women yeah. so it's just so important that like you know, we're constantly pushing each other to to do our best and to offer help when help is needed and just, uh, yeah, just to be willing and open to listen to people and not, even if, if, even if someone is having a rant, to not be judging them for being a certain way or putting a label on that rant or calling it catty, just listening and saying, okay, you needed to vent, so I'm listening, and then it's forgotten about and you move on. I think, like, everyone's worked with women that are catchy, bitchy, whatever, in the exact same way we've all worked with men that are catchy, bitchy, whatever other phrase you want to put on it. I just, I think it's very easy to throw that label on women. Being women in the working world, how do you think the voice of the woman has changed over time? Well, I think it's listened to a lot more. I think, uh, and again, like we've been speaking about this, there's still a lot more to do. But it's having people at the table, having women at, you know, the leadership tables mm. um, tables, and, you know, seeing that reflected in all other organisations. Um, that's, you know, that it is, it, it, you know, it's acceptable to have women there. They wouldn't have been able to, like Tracy was saying, you get pregnant, you leave the workforce, you, you know, that's your kind of career over. It, it's It's thinking more flexibly around what is a career to anyone who wants to take on caring responsibilities, uh, you know, to, to have a family, to take a step back from a career, come back, join, you know, start a different path. And I think one of the things that I've seen is that um, transition um, in the sense of some of the most interesting people that I've worked with have come to their positions um, but they haven't followed the traditional path. They've maybe started in one career, moved to another one, kind of sidestepped into another position, and they've taken all of that knowledge, um, expertise and skills with them, which makes them a, a stronger and well-rounded individual when they are coming um, and, and they are at that table because they've got so much experience to pull on, to draw on, to talk and, and to troubleshoot. Um, and that's that shouldn't be lost, uh, you know, coming back to that pandemic point around are we going to see women exit the workforce because of the external pressures? Like, I hope we don't have that because um, having a child uh, and I don't have one, but seeing my sisters have children, it, it, it's very stressful, but it enriches your life. You see life from a different perspective and and um, having that represented in the workplace is going to be important for the future generations. You know, we're seeing um, different um, needs 
being voiced from the younger generations entering the workforce. Um, and I think it's 2050, 50% of the workforce is going to be millennials. So there's going to be a huge like seismic shift that's going to come through and you're going to have to bring them with you. You can't just say I'm at the top and, and I've got it all figured out. Um, it's going to constantly evolve, but it is good to see that more voices are being heard. You're seeing groups pop up. So like you, there's like full campaigns around um, like women in tech or women in leadership um, that's mirrored across the media, you know, with say like uh, challenging the stereotypes around like run like a girl. I think always were the one that did that. Um, and, and having it mirrored across so many different layers in our society. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And what we're seeing as well, I guess, you know, employers, particularly some of the, the very big, um, companies that are out there are recognizing um, the profitability. To be frank, that, that's that's had um, in in making sure that your leadership team has um, gender equality. That you know your um, women in leadership are are very much front and center of of the decision making process in your organization. That your um, benefits package is reflective of the, the entire workforce and um, and responds to the needs. And as you say, Davina, like the workforce needs um, have evolved and, and I think the demand for an, a more equal workforce is, is becoming louder and louder. And it's fantastic to see, you know, because um, I, I don't think that, I, I hope that the pandemic won't put... Um, women's rights on any sort of backward footing I, I, I do hope that it you know it continues um, and the workforce changes and adapts to to what everybody everyone needs you know man woman whatever you know it, it's whatever needs the individual has that that they're met within within their working life for my for myself and you know just to touch on what you said Davina like you know people um change careers, change, you know, their their skill set, they, you know, re-educate themselves, they reskill themselves, they they change according to life because life changes. And if you can have a plan and you can you can you can be saying to yourself, okay, in the next 20 years I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, um, life will throw different curveballs at you and anything can happen to throw you off that course and being able to adapt to that. And being empowered to adapt to that and, and having support that allows you to, to adapt and to grow and to develop and to move on. And um, that's, that's incredibly important, you know. Yeah, I think as well. So I would have had my first um, <clears throat> job when I was 16 and like just working in kind of a Eurospar, um, nothing too, too major. But, uh, you know, my managers and the, the, the kind of anyone who was in a management or leadership role they were all it was all male like they're all men and I guess kind of 14 years on now I feel quite lucky that I get to work in a company that has a lot of women and female kind of female um people or sorry and has a lot of women in leadership roles and you know for me it's great because it kind of just it, that's a huge thing for me that I can see okay there is the chance and there is I can progress and and be kind of in a more powerful role or like a leadership role. Mm -hmm. So um, in my kind of way, that's how the voice of women has changed in the workplace that I've gone from seeing a lot of men in leadership roles to now a lot of women. So 
for me that the yeah it's it's changed we're chatting there I was just thinking about all the managers I've had over the years and all the people that were above me I think it was my fourth job before there was any woman manager like she wasn't even my manager which was any sort of female manager okay so I think we'll move on to the questions towards individuals now so I suppose the first would be for Ashley um Ash have you ever felt a change in how you're viewed because you're a woman Yes and no. I guess um, it goes back to kind of what I was saying before that when I was in school, so I went to an all girls Catholic school. And the first kind of difference that I noticed between the girls Catholic school and the boys Catholic school was that we're doing home economics and the boys are doing woodwork. And I was a bit like, why can't I take on those types of subjects? It's because they're seen as male subjects and the home economics was seen as a female subject because they they didn't have that uh, like option to home, home economics either. And then I guess it was the expectation that my life would look a certain way. So it would be to go to school, go to college, um, get a job, then get married, buy a house, have children. And that's kind of the way that it was set out. And while I was in school as well, I just kind of, I always fit into like the alternative group of people I guess like I, I like to dye my hair I was interested in piercings tattoos that kind of thing and they were never seen then as ladylike or feminine so because of that I kind of went through a lot of different phases of style and kind of trying to figure out who I was and eventually kind of coming back to who I was when I was 16 so I'm back at my coloured hair and um, so I think that for me it, the treatment wasn't necessarily like it, it was more so how I was reading into things so even like how I was supposed to look as a woman and the image of women in media and how it's changed to now is that there's far more representation of different types of women in the media and there's far more opportunities I guess to just be be who you actually want to be as yourself without judgment because it's just a bit more normalized I guess to be a bit different if that makes sense Um, I think now though things like things that would have bothered me maybe when I was younger because I didn't know how to handle them don't bother me anymore but I also don't know if that's necessarily a good thing because have I just gotten used to being treated a certain way can I just say one thing when you said about the um, home ec and school I remember I live at the top of a hill and all the schools are at the bottom of the hill and I used to remember there was two, uh, two schools there there was a boys and a girls both Catholic so I went to a convent and I used to remember the girls were walking down with their bags with their flour and their eggs and their whatever for they were making that week at home ec and all the lads would have this stick poking out of their bag for woodwork and it was just even from a distance of the girls who were in the skirts because god forbid we wore trousers um, but even from a distance you could see the obvious like the immediate difference kind of thing it's crazy that even it's instilled yeah. us from so young because even like that instills then that our our job and that the home is going to be in the kitchen and the man's job is going to be the DIY stuff whereas I'm actually unreal at DIY I do I, like I love to cook but I'm you know I really enjoy DIY and I always think back what if I had the chance to do woodwork in school like could I be in a different place now could I be you know that kind of way so I think um, I think kind of society has has had a lot to do with kind of you know our upbringing obviously and like how what we're expected to do and what our lives are expected to be and you know now it's a bit it's 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 okay to live kind of a non or a, a different kind of life like you don't have to do those steps mm-hmm. um, 
which I think is a good change. It's not always expected. I think hopefully people are a bit more open-minded to different kind of lifestyles. And hey, Ashling, it's never too late to take up woodwork. So yeah. <laughs> you've got it. <laughs> But Michelle, even what you're saying, we went through a huge petition in my secondary school to get um, girls able to wear trousers. There was huge kind of, um, I'm not sure what the reasoning was, but they didn't want girls wearing trousers to school for some reason. They wanted us in our skirts with, you know, our nice socks, colour coordinated socks and all that stuff. Um, Now, it did it did come through, but like, you know, I can probably um, assume maybe wrongly or rightly what the um, reasons and rationale were but it's it was even that a challenge to get girls to be able to come to school like who wants to be in a skirt in the middle of winter you know things mm. like that I was like ours was a kilt so um a bit of wind came and the wind <laughs> and like even now they, the uniform is still the kilt and um, Michelle have you ever found expectations as a woman that simply aren't expected from men for example, the assumption that because you're a woman, you want children. Yeah, 100%. Um, I think the gender norms, we've really, the gender norms in society, because they're instilled in you from so young, you really, it's in your brain, if you like it or not, there's so many things that you automatically think this is the way it should be. Like, as you said, when you're in school, when you're a child, you're, you do gravitate towards a certain lifestyle like your own it's in your dna but then society around it saying that as a young girl you'll go to school you'll do x y and z subjects you'll go to college and then you'll obviously the only thing any woman wants is a baby and a husband because they're the obvious things a few months ago i was actually it was just after christmas and i was on the phone it was for work actually um and the woman i was talking to mentioned about she said something about her family over christmas and I mentioned, oh, um, me and my boyfriend did something over Christmas. And she was like, oh, is there a ring coming? Is there a baby on the way? <laughs> like, I was like, no, I'm like, I'm in 20s. I was like, that's not anywhere on the agenda. Like, don't you worry. Um, I mentioned it then to my boyfriend, Jack. And he was like, he was taken aback. He thought that was crazy. He was like, I couldn't imagine anyone saying that to me. And I just thought like, nobody would say it to you. Because obviously, as a woman, that's the only thing that apparently is on my brain. But even the fact that that came from a woman, it wasn't, I don't know if it'd be worse or better that it's from a woman, but it was either way. And I suppose then as well, one thing over the weekend, I don't know if anyone saw, it was a BBC, it was a female commentator. And she was doing a interview with a rugby player after, it was after the England match on, I think Saturday. Saturday, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm not a rugby person, sorry. Um, and she was reduced to tears. She was basically got abuse online. Yeah. And it just really showed that for as far as we've come, sport is one area that just doesn't seem to be, it just doesn't seem to, even the fact that we say the women's football, like we, um, I'm from Dublin, obviously. Um, so the dubs have won what the, the last year was the buzzing for half a dozen. Um so they're doing fantastically well, as are the women. But the women's football, even the fact we describe it as the women's football and then yeah. the dubs or and the Dublin, like there has to be the differentiation there. And sport is something and like just being active overall is something that everyone should be a certain amount in their lifestyle. So why when it comes to anything to do with a sport or like a bigger game, do we have to do the differentiation there? It just it doesn't 
it doesn't make sense because as children, we're all packed off for our lunches to go to, I don't know, go down to the local GAA field to whack a hurl around or whatever. Why is it different? It just, it seems crazy. I think then when it was so public at the weekend, like a BBC reporter, you know what I mean? Like you just don't expect that sort of thing in the modern age. Yeah, and she almost got, I mean, she almost got double the backlash for crying. Yeah, God forbid she had feelings. God forbid she had an emotion, you know, so she cried because yeah. the man wouldn't cry. kind of take it on the chin and yeah, yeah. Um, just when you were talking about sort of the, 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 the gender stereotypes that we instill in, in kids, um, my my brother, the younger, youngest guy, um, <laughs> when he was little, for Christmas, he wanted um, the big yellow teapots. He wanted a big yellow teapot and he wanted um, a post office. <laughs> but the, other, the middle guy, the older guy, was, uh, you know, he was into sort of tanks and helicopters and all this, you know, blow it up and, and, and shoot type of thing. And he got, so, you know, he, he got his, his big yellow teapot and played happily <laughs> for, for months. He got grey crack, not grey crack out of this thing. And we would slag him over the years. We'd always say, you know, do you remember when he got the type of thing and his hero <laughs> he killed me for saying this was sort of J.R. Ewing in Dallas and he Stetson and he you know this this was what he did. He was a little boy he was five and this is what he did. <laughs> we slagged him so much over the years. His son is now 10 and I have nieces who are seven and, and 15 and they're, they're very close and they're growing up together in the whole lot you know and his son wanted um, a doll and pram. So he got a doll and pram and it was just, here you go, yeah, that's, that's what, you know, and for a couple of years, sort of Daniel was running around with this, with this doll and pram and the whole lot and it did not, you know, define any of those kids. It, it, you know, it didn't define my brother, it doesn't define, you know, so the more that we can do as the adults and the influencers around children to, to kind of strip away all of that stereotypical behavior and and labeling and you're this and you're that and you're going to be this and this is what the expectation if we can get in there really early and and just you know level it level the playing literally level the playing field I think we stand a much better chance as society to to kind of create in that equality Mm, 100% and it's that judgment piece isn't it because I think a lot of people would feel comfortable to do that. But then, oh, what will that person say? Or, you know, like that feeds into our behaviours as well. And I, I think, yeah, you're dead right there as well, Tracy, on that front. Um, my little niece, she's um, two now, just turned two. And she's got all her father's old kind of um, racing cars. Yeah. Um, he kept them all from his childhood. She, like she has her favorite car she won't go to bed without it like and she's just she's happy you know playing yeah and it's, it's just a, it's just a child at the end of the day and I think you raise much more kind of confident um children confident in themselves if they don't feel that they have to fit that potential stereotype that's being um, imposed on them and Michelle just on the the pregnancy point 
Um, not sure if you've seen, but there's like this whole kind of um, campaign around don't ask a woman about whether she's going to have a child or not, because you don't know whether she can um, have children. You don't know whether she's had five miscarriages and she's trying her desperate hardest to conceive a child. It's a very loaded question. Um, and I, I think it's just having that awareness again that we don't know what everyone else is going through. Um, and how that question might actually <laughs> harm more than, you know, and I think probably from the other perspective, it's a genuine interest to want to see our life progressing in a way which is traditional and brings comfort. Um, but it's, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's probably just really being about being mindful about how much, how close you are to that person, whether you are really close and whether they want to talk to you about it or not, um, because it is such a, a personal issue. Davina, I know you have previously spoken about the voice of women both inside and outside the workplace. What have your experiences with having your voice been like? Um, yeah, really interesting question. Um, I think I've been fortunate enough that I've had very strong um, women um, surrounding me. So my mom, my two sisters, um, and, and that has really kind of helped um, me to yeah to develop and mature into the woman that I am today um, and I think what has then mirrored that is throughout work I've had very strong women leadership as well um, probably in most of my roles to be honest um, but there have been occasions where um, you're in meetings and you know I, I have one experience where I was the the specialist the subject matter expert on, on an issue um, and a question, it was actually coming from a female at the time who, who wasn't um, uh, my, my uh, manager. Um, so she asked a question, I answered it. She asked the same question. A male paraphrased what I said and she went, okay, great. And it happened two more times in that same meeting. And afterwards I chatted to the male and I was like, what just happened there? And he was just like, no, no, no. Like, I didn't see any of that. It's, it's, it's not, it's, it's in your mind. And I'm going, but you're not a specialist in that subject. And you've basically taken, you know, what I said and, and, the, and, and didn't add anything novel to it. So we had a good chat about it. And um, I kind of, I kind of feel like when those instances happen, it's it doesn't help to kind of get annoyed or angry even though that might be the basic you know instinct to do that but I really value the time just going like being able to speak to the, my my male colleague at the time and just be like what happened there <laughs> and and to to kind of um talk it through with someone who was yeah on my team um but I think it also says like the thing I try and do is maybe try and not take it too personal um, even though it is very irritating um, because it speaks more about the other individual and where they're at and I'm not going to be able to change their perspective in in one meeting so maybe Ash similar to you it's like controlling the controllables you know have I you know you, you try you have to try and find a way to balance everything um, and so I'm sure, you know, there are people like even yourselves here have maybe had that experience whether in personal life. And you have to you have to try and find your very best to to be firm and grounded in what you're saying. Um, and and the rest, you know, after that, you know, 
it is for the other individual to un- to decide how they're going to respond and react. I think um, having your integrity in, in what you're doing is is really important to to try and maintain. Um, so, yeah, it, it's unfortunate. I think a lot of people probably, as I said, have experienced that. Um, and I try and use those situations as learning as well, you know, uh, like I said, like that reflection piece and talking it through with people and not just bottling it in um, because that it's not going to do me any good, uh, like my well-being, my psychological health, you know. So, yeah, um, I think as I'm getting older, it's happening less and less. Um, but, yeah, it definitely has happened in the earlier days in my career. Yeah, I think sometimes um, when someone tells you that you've imagined something or it happens in your head, it's almost you're just like, no, did you not just see what just happened there? And it kind, I think it makes you doubt. Then are you just being kind of oversensitive, or did it actually happen? But I think just being confident in, no, I know what I said, and I know it was kind of, you know, I had to be part. Of the, when you said it had to be paraphrased by a man to be understood, just Tracy. So you have two daughters in their twenties. What was your experience of raising two girls? Did you find a struggle of being a mother and working and were employers flexible to this? In 1996, no, <laughs> it's a short answer to that one. Um, yeah, so I had my eldest, my eldest girl um, in 1996 and at that time, maternity leave was 12 weeks so had Kira in October and was due back to work basically just after Christmas in the January um, you could take an, an additional I think four weeks unpaid leave you know it was barbaric to say the least you know I felt so I, I guess just to kind of frame like we were we had we were recently married newly married new house and literally had the new baby so I was I was the, the stereotypical, you know, um, new mum. And where I was working at the time, I was I'd spent left school quite early and um, spent sort of the next um, however many, 10 years or whatever, doing in manufacturing, in the manufacturing industry. And what that meant was um, I was working in a high-tech manufacturing plant and we were running shift work. So not only was I expected to go back to work after 12 weeks after having a baby, I was expected to go back to work on three shifts. So I'd have to go back and work sort of eight to four, four to 12, and then the night shift, which was which was 12 to eight. So I did go back. I went back in the October um, and my husband was working full time as well. We needed the two incomes coming into the house as most people will, will um will understand and um i had an aunt who who said that she'd she'd take care of her you know and to say that i was less than useless in the workplace when i did go back because it was such for me personally it was just such a such a wrench to be away from her she was just too small you know and you're literally handing over this this newborn baby to to somebody else to look after and way off you go you know so it didn't do it didn't do me any any good at all as you can imagine and and quite quickly I found that I was on leave again and you know I just needed to take some time and I needed to be at home with her so how that was addressed my employer was um a knock on the door of my house on an afternoon um, and, you know, basically the HR manager at the time coming in and saying, you know, oh, you know, 
how are you doing? Everything okay? You, are you okay to come back to work then next week? And I'm going, no, I'm, I'm not actually. I've been, I've been signed off, which I had at the time. And him saying, okay, we'll just, you know, we'll just leave it there. Then you can, you know, um, I don't think there's any, there's any point. And, and basically, before he left the house, I had signed a resignation letter. So that was 1996. Okay. <laughs> oh my God. Right. I was lucky enough to be able to to you know we, we we managed and and we made the decision as a family and as a couple that I would stay at home with the girls so, you know I had Tara within two years um and for us it was the right thing to do for me to be able to be at home with the girls in in those sort of first very early years you know and that was just a decision that we were lucky enough to be able to do financially we could afford it and it was great you know so sort of skip forward a few years um, and, and both of the girls were now at, at school and I had realised that I had sort of sacrificed my own education in, in being, you know, forging my own way as a woman and I'll do what I want and, you know, I'm going to go out and earn and all of this kind of crack. Um, and I made a decision myself um, that I need to re-educate myself. So when they went to school, I went to school, got my education and decided that for me, as a as a working mother at that, or as a as a mother at that time, I didn't want to go back into that sort of shift work manufacturing, you know. So I needed to make a decision, and at the same time, um, my my marriage sort of broke down. So I found myself um, back in education as a single mother, and now looking for a change in career and a complete change in in direction and. I guess for me, my observations of, you know, the 90s, the 80s, 90s, and that sort of very um, heavily, heavily industry, manufacturing industry, and, and the, the, uh, the traditional workforce and what that looked like and what that workforce was like for women had changed dramatically by the mid, the middle of sort of, you know, um, mid 2000s I guess and and 2006 I found myself at the start of what was to be I described my second career which was in HR and business administration and all of that you know and it, it was a stark contrast with the two and as I said earlier on you know I think the the rights and and the equality of women has been shored up through legislation as opposed to employers going we were very fair, were we? Let's let's decide we're going to do it differently. The, the government and the legislation said, you're going to do it differently. <laughs> and, and here are the, the, the rights and here's what um, women need to enable them to have families and to go off. So the maternity leave obviously was, was extended. Um, it was the introduction, I think, as well of, of like this notion of parental leave and term time and flexi leave around, you know, school going kids. So I was lucky enough that I was able to um, work full time. I was able to to afford um, sort of childcare, and I had a decision to make. You know, because a lot of my peers and colleagues were sort of doing, um, you know, the twenty hour week and getting this support and and all of that. You know, and that worked fine for them. It was it was a conscious decision that I made for myself that I wanted to be in full-time employment. Um, I wanted to get my third level education. I wanted to educate myself because I didn't want my girls to think that 
um, you know, that, that leaving school early <laughs> was a good idea. I wanted them to to understand their, their right to their education and how important their education was and to really give themselves the best chance that they possibly could at life. And I didn't want to be, you know, a barrier to, to any of that in any way. So for me, it was a personal choice, but it was a struggle. It was a struggle. Were employers flexible? They were a little bit more flexible in, in the 2000s um, than, than they were in the 90s, for sure. But it's still really, really difficult. And, and I think to pretend otherwise would be would be slightly naive. It's it's hard to have everything. It's hard to have, you know, the full time job. It's hard to have, you know, um I was studying at night as well, you know, over the course of four years. And like that, life throws all of these different challenges at you. And you have to sort of in the moment, I remember driving to work one morning. Um I was I was actually sorry, I was driving the kids girls to the to the timeminder you know at sort of 20 to 9 to drop them off and she rang me to say that she decided that she didn't want to be a timeminder anymore from there <laughs> it's like I had 20 minutes to kind of figure something else out but that's that's what you that's what you roll with that's what you know everybody has different challenges everybody has something going on in their personal lives and um it's for what we can do what we can do as as an organization and particularly as as women in an organization is is really kind of gather around you know and that sort of you've heard that um that analogy uh, you know it, it takes a village to raise a child and what that means it really truly does actually it's not just about you know you're a mother therefore it's on you to to bring up this this person you know and to have all of that responsibility. It, it is not. It's it's the whole family. It's both parents. It's also, dare I say it, you know, the employer. <laughs> it's also the organisations. We're contributing to these organisations. We're giving, you know, um, what we have. We're giving our experience and coming with our with our skills and our qualifications. And we're we're really giving everything that we have to to an organisation. And I think controversial but I do think it's 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 time now that that is completely recognized and um and, and that our our personal needs are um are met I don't know if I'll ever be overhearing 12 weeks for maternity leave it's so short yeah look it was it was of its time and, and still the 90s was a little bit a little bit odd because we were all, you know, we we're after Italian ninety. The country was was we were having great crack, you know. The the banks were loaning lots of money. We were buying lots of houses, um, you know. We were the, the sort of you heard the taxi drivers and and having the holiday home in in Bulgaria type of thing, you know. It, the country was really booming, like properly properly booming booming, the likes of which we'd never seen. Um, and jobs were plenty, as well, you know, and and everybody was sort of enjoying enjoying that. And I suppose when I think about that, when I say that we were able to and we were comfortable enough, and we were, I was able to stay at home. I kind of let that slide because, it, you know, it, it, I, I kind of said, oh, okay, right, okay. Well, look, I get to I get to be at home with with the girls, you know. 
and my my feminist side didn't sort of go what the hell just happened you know how dare you know I be put in in that position if that was my husband that would yeah. never ever ever happen it just wouldn't consider it just wouldn't wouldn't consider that but actually physically coming into somebody's home and that wasn't unusual that's the thing it wasn't it wasn't an unusual you know um situation to be in it was still wrong and you know probably um could um, I've no doubt could be challenged at the time culturally I you know it just it just wasn't yeah like my mom would have stayed at home with us and didn't go back to uh, full-time work until my younger sister went into into school and now she didn't go back to college or anything she didn't go back to education but she did like courses and things so that she was able to brush up on her her typing skills and stuff um and now the kind of the way she sees it is because she started work later she has to finish work later so she's kind of done this full-time job as, as being a mother and is now working a full-time job and is going to continue to work a full-time job until she's like older than my, my dad would be retiring this year because I think she has another maybe 10 years of service left and she just like she's going to be older working and I know that we're finishing work at an older age but I just I think she's it's that kind of thing of where she's already done you know shall we say or I guess by the time my sister would have been going to school, my brother would have been nearly 10. Mm. So she's done 10 years of doing the full-time job on top of kind of going back into work then again. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. and would have had, you know, um, her pension affected. For, you know, yeah. So that's probably, what I'm speaking for your mum, that's probably why she's she feels the need to, you know. So that it, right across our society, it never got the work that women did within the home was was very undervalued always, you know, and perhaps still still is. Um, and it just doesn't it just doesn't get the, the recognition. And we could talk for another hour if we think about the history of this country yeah. when it comes to how we treated women and children and um, you know and, and right across society. And it wasn't just, you know, what what the church did or what the state did or, you know, it was everybody's involvement in that whole period. Um, that shameful period, really. Um, but I think definitely there's still, we've come a long way. We have come a long way in how we treat women and children, and specifically, I suppose, women and girls, you know, within Ireland, we have, but we're not there yet. And I think to to pretend otherwise would be, would be naive. Yeah, I'd agree. I think um, there's, there's still a lot... Um, in the sense of acknowledging us as, you know, human beings that have rights, you know, over our own body, over what we want to do, over how we want to live our life, you know, things that have come up that, you know, Michelle, Ashling, Tracy, we're all speaking about. It's a much bigger societal um, picture, isn't it? It's it, like you're saying, that village piece, you know, well, who are the people in that village? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just people in your immediate household and your immediate family, it's the whole society, the whole economy. Um, that feeds into the how that individual develops. So we'll end on some more lighthearted questions. Um, so if you could have a dinner party pre-COVID um, and you can invite three women, dead or alive, who would you like to invite? Michelle, you go first. 
Um, I think, well, to be honest, at this stage, I've had anybody over for a dinner party. Um, <laughs> I think I'd, first of all, this is very obvious and very cheesy, but I do love Michelle Obama. I think she stands for great things. That's She's very into, We all, I've, I talk with Michelle Obama, I'm going to say twice a week. I've read her. If you haven't watched her documentary on Netflix and read her book, I highly recommend them. Um, she does stand for very good things. She's very much believes in the girls, big one for um, advocate for education. She's very good for just overall well-being. And then obviously, I suppose, black in America, she's very much a huge one for civil rights and for equality across the boards. I think she's a fantastic woman. I think for my second, I would have um, a family member. I think I would have my um, late, she was my grandfather's sister, um, my Auntie Peggy. She was a fantastic woman. If she was alive now, she'd be early 90s. When she was alive, she was, I think she was ahead of her time in the kind of way that, just say my, my grandmother, she's gone as well, but she was, she wouldn't do anything without my grandfather. And she was very much that the women was with the husband. Peggy was not about that. Peggy went off on her holidays and she went off to Spain for three weeks and she came back with her duty free and or like different things. I remember once we were at a family occasion and she was like, did you hear about that Jay-Z? And I was like, what? He only went and cheated on Beyonce. And this was like an elderly age woman. <laughs> she was just so with it. And she had such a like, I think if, like she lived her life like to the max. She was just a fantastic woman. And she was, I don't know, I just think everything about her, she was amazing. If you could bring her back, I would. And I think then for my last one, I kind of have two, but I'm kind of thinking I'd go with Princess Diana. Purely because I think she was fantastic again for women she did fantastic things for the world as a whole i think she opened people's eyes up to a lot of social issues and i'd be dying to get the scandal as well to be honest <laughs> <laughs> and she seems like a good time <laughs> so i think they'd be my dream brilliant um who had i so <laughs> i've written these down so don french because i just love her and for the crack Definitely would want would want Dawn at, at my dinner party. Um, Christina Noble as well as of the Christina Noble uh, Foundation. I just think um, what you know she she's a children's rights activist and what she's done for the children in, in Vietnam, Cam- Cambodia. I've I've seen the movie. I've read one of her books and the whole her own story is just the resilience, the tenacity. You know, she just keeps going and going, and um, with 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 good grace and and with with a sense of humour, and you know, coming through all of that adversity. So I'd want to hear her story firsthand for sure. Um, and then, really weird one. <laughs> um, I've kind of I'm really interested in the Tudor wives and and that sort of period of history. So I'd love to meet all of the all of the Tudor wives, right? I'd love to meet all of them, but Anne of Cleves in particular, I think I'd invite to my dinner party because um, she is reported to have, ha- have negotiated her way and and narrowly sort of avoided the axe really and and she did it in a way that was very very clever ahead of ahead of her time in terms of of how she sort of dodged dodged that one um and yeah so just for her negotiation skills and to find out what really happened um 
for me, with the exception to my mother and my two sisters, um, I just got to say that in case they listen to this and they go, why didn't you pick us? Because um, they're, they're just phenomenal um, women anyways. But when I was thinking about this, um, there is a clinical psychologist named Edith Eager. Um, she's, I think she's in her 90s now. Um, but she was a survivor uh, from Auschwitz um, and the Holocaust. And like her story is just absolutely breathtaking, all that she endured. And then how far she grew in the sense of she moved to America. She had her children. Um, she decided to go back to study. Well, not go back. She didn't have the chance to study. She, I think she went into concentration camps when she was 14. Um, so, you know, and then at 50, she did her clinical doctorate. So she's got some amazing, um, she's written some great books and her, um, like the, there's a, the way she speaks about her experience, the kind of, ex the, the, the healing that had to happen throughout and continue to happen throughout her adult years and how it was kind of, um, re-emerged through different aspects of raising children uh, her own children and um, her own kind of life experiences that that affected her like a story's phenomenal I would definitely say um, if you haven't read much about her like she's yeah amazing woman um, the second person then similar vein to you Michelle like I would be really interested to meet like my great 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 grandmother oh you know to kind of see and contrast um where and how they lived their life and even just I, I would say kind of the contrast of how uh, I'm living my life as you know raised as a western woman and the, the contrast to the eastern kind the eastern world and the cultures and um, the variance in how we've both like how I've been raised and how they would have been raised I think that would be really humbling and uh, to hear um and there's always a lot of wisdom in, in the in in like um the the older generation and hearing them speak even from my 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 I've only got one grandma alive right now but you know it was great great conversations with my grandparents about their lives and what they went through and and just like hearing that perspective it's it's sometimes you can't put words on the things that they endured but it, you know as being a woman having a child um you know being the woman in the house and, and things like that so i would be fascinated to meet someone back in back in my ancestral past um and then last but not least i'm gonna have to throw it out there beyonce like why would you not want like i've watched documentaries of her and her work ethic her you know just the way that she applies herself to what she does is is outstanding um yeah it'd have to be beyonce have to have to have her at the table maybe yeah. have a few songs as well <laughs> i'm really surprised you didn't say oprah <laughs> <laughs> i think uh, my three so would be Haley williams from paramore she's the lead singer lady gaga and then probably dearest reardon um all three women in music just because Hayley Williams was the first kind of punk rocker female lead of, in a band that I'd seen in such a huge venue when I was 16 and really kind of shaped my taste in music, my taste in style. 
Um, and, you know, she's still making music today just as a solo artist. I'm a huge fan of the Cranberries um, and Dear Sir Raven as well, just her music. And then just even that she sounds Irish, I always just appreciated from, like I appreciated that from her. And then Lady Gaga, kind of the same with Beyonce, like such great work ethic. Um, I just adore her. Me and my sister went to see her in the Viva and like, we cried for the whole concert. And it's just like, I have so much admiration for her. Um, so I think they'd be my three. Finally, on International Women's Day, what is the most important message you want to send out to young women starting off on their career? Go for it, girl. You got this. <laughs> like, and I think just always keep aligned to a higher purpose. I think it's so easy to get caught up in the 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 like the stuff that absorbs us and our energy and emotions and time, and it's pointless. And and it can and and some of it, you know, look, is important to our development. But I'd say don't get stuck there. Like, have the experience, reflect, like you know, use that, put it in your toolkit. Um, but keep keep that vision of what you want to achieve, you know, in 10, 20, 30 years. I think I'd say two things. I think I'd say you're doing better than you think you are because we're all our worst critic. And just if you're worried about anything, always think, will it matter even in two weeks? Will it matter in a month? Will it matter in a year? Most of the time, 99% of the time, the answer is no. Even if it won't matter in a week. So just always kind of relate it back to that. Yeah, I think mine comes nicely from that as well. It's don't be so hard on yourself. We're all human. We all make mistakes. And I sometimes think if you're not making mistakes, especially starting off in a job, then is there something wrong? Because you're learning something new. And in order to learn more, you need to come up against challenges and start asking questions. And that's how you kind of, that's how I learn. I learn by doing. But um, yeah, so don't be so hard on yourself because everyone is making mistakes. Like everyone at the top are making mistakes and, you know starting off everyone's making mistakes yeah exactly and and for me it's it's you know I would say to anyone what I say to the to, to my my daughters don't limit yourself you know just don't set those limits for yourself um plenty of people will try and set the limits for you as you go through life so you know um decide what you want to do and go for it and don't don't let anyone sort of derail you um from that you know be 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 determined and yeah i'd like to thank you all for joining us today it has been great to hear from the women of zevo different voices from a range of different backgrounds as we mark women's day it is both imperative that we look back at how far women have come and be grateful for this while also looking at how far we still have to go thanks for listening to another episode of zevo talks